You are listening to WCB Newsline. Unleashed. Hello, everybody. My name is Zachary Hertz, and this podcast episode is to talk about accessible medication labels. And with us today is Doreen Cornwell, Judy Brown, and Xandra Brown. Uh, Doreen, will you mind introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Doreen Cornwell. I'm the co-chair of the WCB Advocacy Committee. Um, I got involved in this. Well, there's a couple different pathways. I'm going to let Judy talk about one, um, but I want to make sure that when we talk about the legislation, we also mention a wonderful group of young healthcare students in different disciplines called the Health Equity Circle that were re are really interested in continuity of care and language access. And we all got teamed up through work on legislation and the rules of Washington state rulemaking. And I think it's, I think it's important to keep remembering that group of people, both because they're young people entering different professions and because people who not, it's not just people who speak English who age into blindness. And that's, that's an important segment and the technologies that we can use there's another hiccup to do the, the language piece, but it's really important to keep that in the picture. So that's, and, I, I, and part of why I say that is I have done a tiny amount. Uh, I've done healthcare cost analysis and a small amount of spoken language interpreting. So sometimes you put me in a conversation and I can kind of be in several worlds at once. Judy, take it away. Hi, everybody. Judy Brown. I'm the other co-chair of Advocacy for Washington Council of the Blind. Uh, I am also still a full-time working nurse at one of the local hospitals in Seattle. So I kind of look at a lot of these issues, not only from the blind perspective, but also from the healthcare and patient safety perspective, which is why I wanted to jump right in on this issue. And I'm going to throw this to Xandra because you kind of started this conversation for us. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Sandra Brown. I'm the president currently of Capital City Council of the Blind. Uh, I also have done advocacy with Governor's Committee on Disability Issues, and I work with the Government Affairs uh, Subcommittee. And I had had some experiences, difficult experiences with prescription label accessibility, and so I brought that to uh, the Government Affairs Committee, and, and luckily Judy and Doreen were willing to jump on it, and I really appreciate all the work they've done. Okay, thank you. So what I'd like to do real quickly for, even though we've sent out emails, I know that a lot of people get drowned in some of the emails on the WCB email list, so I'm just going to do a brief history of time so we can kind of anchor this conversation, and then Xandra, I'd like to have you explain some of your personal experiences and what you went through, if that seems to be okay. That sounds fine. Okay, so about October-ish of last year, 2021, Sandra approached the advocacy committee because of issues that she was having getting uh, her uh, large print accessible labels for her medications. And even though I knew from my own personal experience that there had been some issues, I hadn't really dug deeply into the extent of the issue until we really started to do some research. And we did find out that Washington Council of the Blind has worked on this issue in several different timeframes, um, some of which was trying to do something legislatively. We've also found out the American Council of the Blind has worked on this several different times. It hasn't really come up with a full national solution, but 
as a nurse, I looked at it and, and the, my first thought was, wait a minute, all of these healthcare groups that are licensed, such as nurses, doctors, pharmacists, and pharmacies, all have a rulemaking board in Washington state. Um, it's the pharmacy commission that is the rulemaking board. So I thought instead of trying to go through legislation, at least at this point in time in October, 2021, let's approach the pharmacy commission and see if they would like to make rulemaking because I'd done some research. There had been a law passed in 2013 uh, signed by President Obama at the time, but the law didn't really have any teeth to it. There was a lot of work done as far as guidelines and best practices, but there was no real teeth to make any particular state do anything. So that's the way I approached it. And approximately December of 2021 was when the Washington State Pharmacy Commission did decide to take this on as a rulemaking process. Then we come to January of 2022 of this year. And um, through a series of emails, with one of the representatives from Envision America who does script talk, Charlotte Glass, we kind of found out that, wait a minute, there's some legislation pending for making medication labels accessible in alternate languages. And I thought at the time, who's doing this? Because if they've already got legislation that they've proposed that has to do with changing labels and making it more accessible with other languages, maybe we can tag team onto them and actually get a law passed in Washington state. And I found out that as Doreen alluded to, there's a group called the Health Equity Circle. Um, many of them are med students out in Spokane. There are other disciplines. They're in actual multiple states, but the lead group seems to be in Spokane. And they had actually done at least two years work of work before presenting the bill that eventually became known as HB 1852. They were very uh, gracious and allowed us to partner with them so we could get a little tag language in that also talked about blind, low vision, and print impaired persons also need needing accessible labels along with non-English speaking patients. And this went through I thought kind of a roller coaster type of thing towards the towards the end of the short session earlier this year because we actually got pulled on the Senate calendar, but it never got taken to a vote. They said they ran out of time. I think there was some behind the scenes things, but I don't know that for a fact. So it never got voted on. Finally, it did pass the House. It didn't pass the Senate because it never got voted on in the Senate. But then what happened was we were able to circle back to the Pharmacy Commission, start in getting into the rulemaking process, which we are deep into right at the moment. So that's kind of the his brief history of time with all of this. And Sandra, what I'd like to have you do is go ahead and just explain your personal experiences and the struggles that you've encountered with your accessible labeling requests. Okay, well, I wanted to get large print labels. I'm originally from Oregon. I knew Oregon had had um, done some legislation to get accessible labels. I reached out to Ms. Glass and she she gave me language from that law and you know other states that had had some success. So I started calling pharmacies to find out somebody that would offer accessible labels of places where I shop. I found one big chain, big company that's here and based here in Washington, but it's all over globally. 
and started using their pharmacy. But they told me that although I could get large print labels there, it would take three business days to get those labels. That pharmacy uses a text system. So when I want to renew a prescription, um, they send me, you know, I send them a text, tell them that I'd like to have it renewed. They send me a text back within two hours saying my medication is ready to pick up. But the first time I called and said, I just want to verify that my medication is ready to pick up before I get a ride there. They said, oh, we don't have your large print labels yet. That will take a while. The flip side of this is that my insurance company, my prescription provider for insurance, will only let me renew a medication, you know, when it's only, you know, like within a week of being ready for renewal. So you'd think that with three business days, maybe that would work. The problem I have is that there are many times when it's a three-day weekend, um, you know, like Labor Day or Thanksgiving, especially as a four-day when they're closed, um, that I can't, you know, that are not considered business days. So it's happened several times. And then, of course, I have to get a ride. But it's been several times where I end up without medication before I can pick up, before they finally have my large print label and I can pick up the prescription. Even though if I was, you know, the average customer, I would have been able to get it in two day, two hours. So I talked to them and said, I don't feel this is equal access. And they said, well, it's the best we can do. So I started, you know, going back to Envision America and, and different places, trying to figure out how we could get equal access. I also have another prescription that the company, the pharmacy I'm talking about, won't cover because it's a Medicare prescription and my insurance company won't cover it because Medicare pays for it. And so I tried to do that with another big grocery store chain that's actually closer to my house. And they absolutely refused and were extremely rude to me and said, you know, and so I said, well, how do I advocate um, to get, you know, so that you guys will consider doing large print? And the pharmacist said to me, well, you have to call Mr. Fill out whatever store you want to put in it, like real, real cocky and rude. So that was a, a another frustrating experience. And a lot of the pharmacies I'd called just simply didn't know anything about or said they didn't know anything about accessible prescription labels and didn't have that option anyway. So that's been my experience and why I, why I asked for help. Sure. Thank you. And then Doreen, you've got um, a story about one of our members that had problems with a pharmacy benefit manager. So as we, uh, I think we should make clear, there's, there's the pieces about the actual how you do the label on the bottle or the container piece. So that's one area of work. The other area of work is insurance, insurance issues. And Xandra talked about a little bit. We have one member who was used to getting script talk labels from her neighborhood pharmacy. And then DSHS contracted with what's called a pharmacy benefit manager. And pharmacy benefit managers do all kinds of things that are supposed to control costs, but they wind up a lot of times coming between patients and their doctors. And, um, and DSHS had contracted with a pharmacy benefit manager that didn't know anything about accessible labels. And so our member had to, our member goes to get her medications or the pharmacy calls her and says, we're sorry, but it's not covered. And she was able to work out. She's like, I really need this medication. And she's a really good advocate. I think the pharmacy first, they contacted the pharmacy benefit manager. And then I, I think our member talked to the pharmacy benefit manager themselves, but it boiled down to 
the pharmacy benefit manager had no idea what she was talking about. And the, the pharmacy knew the situation really well. They're like, don't worry about it. We'll dispense the drug and we'll figure out the reimbursement. Because one of the things about medication is it, when you need it, you need it now. Kind of a little bit what Xander was talking about. You need it when you need it. You don't need it 10 days from now or two weeks from now or whenever you've had to file an appeal. When I think about how to hit all the bases to make sure that labels are accessible, it's the we can tell you there's some chains that say they have accessible labels, but if you walk into the store, that's kind of, you still have to speak up for yourself. And then there's all the different things that can happen because of insurance. And like Xandra was talking about her insurance and what Medicare will do. And that can, you know, how insurers, um, it's called reimbursement, how they pay you for services, it can change. And the consumer doesn't necessarily know until you go to the pharmacy and they go, oh, we've had a rules change. So there's a lot of pieces to make sure that labels are accessible, not only in terms of the format and the information on the container of the bottle, but also in terms of what your insurance and your reimbursement are doing. And right now, the rulemaking we're doing is concentrated in the Pharmacy Quality Assurance Commission but I think there's going to need to be some pieces where we work with different insurance issues. And I did used to work for the insurance side of an HMO. So I'm not an expert, but I can kind of think about some different ways to come at it. And today I was sitting here realizing it, it, I appreciate Xander's comment about what Medicare does or doesn't cover. Also remember there's a famous accessibility use case story involving Humana and Medicare said, you will make your website accessible or we won't pay you anymore. It's called, it's called two chicks in marketing. You can look it up. And it, there was a bunch of things that were out of the ordinary for an IT project, but they wound up bringing it on time under budget, even though several points of the checkpoints, it looked like they were behind. It's a really, it's a really interesting story if you're into that kind of thing. But I think, you know, when we think about how to make sure that is accessible to customers. It also has to be doable in the retail pharmacy. There's a program, I think, in New York and Pennsylvania where they'll deliver it to you. And some of the time, one of the pharmacy chains said, well, we can deliver you your first prescription and then get get you set up in your neighborhood pharmacy. So there's a bunch of different ways that things could happen in the rulemaking. And Honestly, I'm glad that there's, I'm glad, like it was a little disappointing that we didn't get the bill through the legislature, but the rulemaking, I think is going to give us an opportunity to just talk through issues in a way that should lead to better results than if we left it to the legislators, because the legislators were a little bit going around and not sounding like they kind of knew what they were doing, honestly. There was a lot of interest and a lot of support for this, especially making sure the non-English language. So part of what all of our work has been is we've met several times with the health equity circle. We met one time with um, Envision and another software company, um, you know, and then we've met some different meetings with representatives of the pharmacy industry from right different chains and representatives of some small pharmacies because you know 
if you're the only pharmacy in a small town in Washington, you just don't have some of this, you, you, you know, you have, you just don't have some of the same, oh, I can call a pharmacy across town. You don't have it if across town is 30 or 50 miles away. And so we're kind of working out, you know, what, what do we want to ask of the different locations as far as, because, you know, you do need to have, you know, if you're going to put RFID chips on something, you've got to have the equipment to work with the RFID and then customers have got to know how to use it. One of the questions is always, well, if we make it large print, the label's going to be too big, or we might have to print a separate label. And that kind of cracks me up, honestly, because if you had me five prescription bottles and five pieces of large print information, oh, good. I know what the large, I know what it says, but I don't, I still don't have any idea which, um, which bottle is which. You know, I mean, there's different things that they would probably have to do to make that viable, but we're talking about a bunch of things that different levels of detail, like all the different chains they talk about. Well, we know there's this language resource out there and we have to do all this IT work so that our systems will talk to each other, which all sounds understandable to me. But part of why, you know, part of why we keep talking about it is more that, you know, some of the big chains say, some of the software companies say, the more that we can do that's uniform and consistent across many states, the cheaper it winds up being for everybody. I guess that's where I am. There's a lot of details. I, it's not nearly as interesting as, you know, Xandra's story, although I have enough vision to be able to tell that, well, actually my, my neighborhood Rite Aid closed because it's, it sort of swallowed up Bartels and they left the Bartels store, but not the Rite Aid store. And Rite Aid used to tell you that, oh, if you need language access, there's a sign that's about my waist level in several different languages and says, if you need this language, if you need language access, here's the phone number for the interpreter line. Um, and you know, there's some, one of the technologies you can record a 30 second message and like stick it on your RF on your, it's not exactly an RFID chip because it's a button that you press and it'll read it. Um, but if you just talk to an interpreter and don't write the message in your bottle, I don't know, I, part of the equal access to me is, can I read it over and over? You know, I don't have to remember what the instructions are because I don't take very many medications, but once in a while I take one that says, oh, you're supposed to eat it two hours after food or avoid milk or th there's different instructions. And, and some of that is like really important for how you manage your care. You know, I think the other piece that we, you know, the, the language access piece, there's still the part of the different conversations is, well, do you give people labels in both English and another language? And some of that, honestly, I hope that the different companies will do really like close to the ground market research because often if an elder needs labels in their, own, in their native language, maybe there's a child or a grandchild who's way more conversant in English and so, you know, what the needs are going to be is going to be really different in different households. Well, I think that that's kind of interesting that 
there's actually multi layers here of, of what you just said. So I'm, yes. it's, <laughs> mind. I just kind of want to go through kind of step by step some right. of the technologies that we are aware of that exist currently, because none of this is reinventing the wheel at this point. As Doreen said, there's, and I know that uh, Amazon's mail order pharmacy is using this, and there's a couple of other pharmacies that we've become aware of, nationwide pharmacies that can use this. Just the button that'll do a 30 second in the moment instruction. So it could be in an alternate language if needed be. So that would be if I needed a antibiotic today. So I don't have to wait three to five days for it to come up in a different language, nor should I have to wait for any reason. And you shouldn't have to wait for an antibiotic. And this particular national chain that is now going to go ahead and offer this button in one state only at this point, because they're being forced to, but we believe that they can offer it anywhere has said that it's pretty easy for them to adhere and then they will go ahead and mail the other RFID chip to be uh, placed on the bottle within a couple of days so that you've got the more permanent thing on your medication bottle that'll give more instructions. But within 30 seconds, I can easily say amoxicillin, 250 milligrams, one pill, three times a day or twice a day for the next seven days. In most languages, that would be an easily done 30-second talk. The RFID chips that we're talking about, I know that that's what Script Talk uses. There are some other things out there that sometimes use barcodes. We've recently found out that some Braille devices can actually read some of these barcodes and RFID chips as well, and QR codes. So interesting. And I did uh, contact Envision America to let them know what we had discovered. Mostly, Doreen discovered this during the ACB convention, and then I went and talked to some of the CEO, uh, CEO of one of our, the Braille machine companies and said, what can be done? And they just needed to be connected to the right person. So I contacted Envision America about a week and a half ago and said, just so you guys know, this particular Braille-making machine will talk to your stuff. You've just got to talk to them a little bit. And they were looking, Script Talk has evidently been looking for a Braille machine partner for a while. So this might be some easy bridge that's happened very soon. As far as the um, large print goes, I don't think that the um, argument that the farm, some of the pharmacists were giving is really a great argument. They're concerned about a big piece of paper that's taped on to the side of a bottle. I believe, Xander, that's kind of what you've got now. What I have is a laminated, like plastic laminated information that's that's accordion. Yeah. It's yeah. like an accordion. So you just flip the pages. It's printed on both sides of the pages and you just flip through this accordion, like, a, like an accordion fan, and it yeah. is glued onto over the regular prescription. Right. And that's, and that's what some of the pharmacists, pharmacists that we have heard when we've talked to the Pharmacy Association people here in Washington State, that they kind of don't like that. They actually kind of have told, called it before cut and paste labeling. And one of them actually discounted the fact anybody who has gotten prescriptions know that prescription bottles can come in different sizes. And there's a large size prescription bottle that's approximately five inches tall that actually could accommodate two different labels in two different languages easily. And one of the pharmacists that I was listening to the other day, the pharmacy association going, well, that's not very good if you've got small pills. 
But the thing is, if you need two languages on your pill bottle and you've got a pill bottle big enough to accommodate those without having to do what some of the pharmacists were afraid of, this accordion type thing that possibly could come off, although I don't think that's a real argument. Actually, it's hard. I take them off before I throw them out because it's personal information. And it's yeah. kind of hard to get those suckers off. So yeah. I don't think that's a legitimate argument. And I don't think that those pill bottles, I mean, they, so maybe five, they only have five pills. They don't have to put it in a small bottle. They can put it in a larger bottle. Correct. Correct. And that's, that's what I thought. And I, we do have a meeting coming up with some representatives from the Washington State Pharmacy Association, which is different than the Pharmacy Commission. The Pharmacy Commission is a state level group that does rulemaking for pharmacies and pharmacists and does the licensing and the licensure for those groups. The Pharmacy Association is a group of retail and chain pharmacies that have been talking to each other clearly for years. And we have been able to become part of that conversation because this will allow us to help put some rules together to present to the Pharmacy Commission and say, hey, we've all been kind of working on this outside of your structure because they only meet every other month, the Pharmacy Commission. And so by doing this extra work outside of the structure, we then can say, this is what we've done so far. What do you all think? How do we want to fine tune this? And I think there's some very easy ways to fine tune a lot of these things. And I think part of the problem has been that because we're not doing very much of this across the board in Washington State, there's a little bit of a fear of the unknown. Well, you know, there are some pharmacies and big pharmacy chains that are that have all that laminating and large print equipment in each pharmacy. It's not that big of a deal to get, you know, it's just changing the font size and then and then running it off and laminating it and sticking it on the side of the bottle. I would suspect my argument with the place I go to, which is a big one, is that they are having it done at one central place and then having it UPS to each individual pharmacy. And I think that over the long run, it would be cheaper or just as cheap for them to just have those, all of those, you know, that, that equipment in all of their pharmacies. I think it's unfortunate that they don't because certainly I'm not getting equal access and sometimes I'm missing medication for a day or two. I can pick up the medication without the prescription, without the large print prescription labels. They'll let me do that. But then I have to bring them back in. I have to bring the prescription bottles back in and have the pharmacist put the label, the large print label on top of the regular label. They won't just let me have somebody come in and grab the labels. Right. And that's a, that's a liability thing for them. And that's, that's why they're making you do that. But that's, you're absolutely correct. That's not equal access to you. And what has um, struck me, and I've said this to people who are not part of our group, that wear glasses. And I realize wearing glasses does not equate to the type of vision loss that we're talking about. But many people who, over a certain magical age have to wear reading glasses. And some of the print on those pharmacy labels are small and hard for what are considered people who have corrective vision sight, hard for them to read even with reading glasses. So large print is going to definitely benefit more than just people in uh, what we consider our group, our population. And it also can benefit people if we have it in an alternate language, because now we're talking about a different language that also has to wear reading glasses. So we're talking about millions of people nationwide that this can 
affect and assist. And I think this is a very important work that if we can make some rules that we can push forward and show this is what Washington state has done. And yes, it took some work and yes, we need to keep fine tuning it probably yearly, but here it is. This is what can be done if you work together. And it would also be a money saving thing for patients because they're going to be less likely to make an error taking their medication if they can actually see, have it in a language that's accessible to them or have the label read to them depending on what they need for accessibility issues. And yes, Judy, I think that's a really important point because it's not just making it, making, you know, making a label that makes people more independent so they can manage their health better. It's a safety issue. It's, it's, it, can, it can literally cost someone their life if not their health. Correct. Well, when we were working on the legislation, I just I asked a friend of mine who's a retired, recently retired primary care doctor. I said, "Tell me some anecdotes." And one of them was her father-in-law who has macular degeneration and couldn't read his blood pressure meds and wound up in the in the ER. And another one was a woman who speaks Somali who couldn't read her labels and wound up in the ER. And you know, once you're in the like just getting in the door of the ER is hundreds of dollars of cost to the medical system. And then never mind all the tests they do before they, someone talks to you and figures out that, oh yeah, here's your medical, here's your, here's your prescription information. And when we were talking about this with one of the, one of the groups, um, one person talked about, so the word once in English is 11 on say in Spanish. And one of the people on the call said, yeah, we've had some patients who make that mistake. So having it the right language and having it, you know, clearly in ways that patients can grasp, I think is really important. I wanted to go back a little bit just to the, the Braille options. I'm still trying to figure out, apparently there are some places where it, like in Baltimore, which conveniently is near the NFB headquarters, where people can just walk into the pharmacies and get Braille labels. Everybody I know who gets Braille in Washington gets it mail order. But what I wanted to say was a little bit more at the ACB convention, there's always a vendor area. And I just walked around one afternoon and talked to all the Braille device manufacturers and I don't remember all the details and there's, you know, a bunch of different braille devices that do different things. But um, one of them was like, Oh, sure. If there's an Android app, we can totally, we can totally read that. And, and so then it's just a question of, can they read the RFID chip or the, or the barcode or the QR code? So there's a little bit of, well, what would be the details and how do you work it out? But then I went to, I was talking to somebody at the San Francisco lighthouse for the blind. And she's like, Oh, here, I have my iPhone. I have my uh, APH Chameleon, which is a really low-end Braille device. She's like, here, let me pay, pair. Let me see if I can Bluetooth pair my Chameleon device with my iPhone. Oh, look, I can navigate all over the Envision app. I don't think I don't think that one. I don't think that device. You can load anything onto the um, onto the actual device, but I'm not sure about how you would accomplish reading the reading the RFID chip but you know just it was just like really exciting that it was that easy for her to 
to do that because I, I mean, I'm a really slow braille reader. I, someday I might buy a braille device just to practice with, but it's not, I'm not, it's not as important a part of my communication as is for some people, but it, it, you know, it's very exciting because really there are all these pieces of technology and there should be ways to line them up. And, you know, the big companies are like, oh, it costs us a lot of money to make the like, you know, it costs us a lot of money to make the software talk to each other, but the more people can use the same software and the same, you know, practices, the, the, the more people you spread the cost out over. And so it winds up being a really valuable investment. Well, with your example, though, she was reading the Envision app, which already exists right. by, by using her Braille device, her, her uh, chameleon device. Right. So all they would have to do for her, if we'd had a medication bottle for her to try, right. then it would have read it on the Script Talk app and mm-hmm. then translated it to her chameleon. Right. right. Boom, it's done. It already exists for her. Right, right. Even a connection that has to be made. And I think that some of these um, companies, which is why I contacted Envision America about a week and a half ago, said, I think it's already out there for you because. Right. Um, Charlotte Glass, the uh, representative that we've all encountered from Envision America, had said quite a few years ago when they uh, started their app, they built into part of their process that it would be able to talk eventually and um, convert to Braille if needed. They just wanted to be able to partner with certain companies. And so I did give her the name of one of the the big companies. I'm I'm just going to say it. HIMS, H-I-M-S. that they are able, that particular machine, because I was able to talk to the CEO and their lead uh, software engineer at convention, and they're both like, oh, easy peasy. And so when I um, sent the email to Sharla, I said, Sharla, reach out to these people because they say they can probably do it now. So it's just sometimes a matter of somebody like you, Doreen, just walking around and asking the right questions. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Asking the next question, because people who are developing some of this stuff, they may not necessarily reach out and ask enough questions because they're not living the experience. They're trying to do the right thing, but they're not living the experience at the same time, which is why we need people like Zandra to do all the testing you do, Zandra. (laughs) One of the one of the things that um, I got out of listening to the uh, pharmacy board that kind of was actually somebody that was giving testimony to them. She was from a large pharmaceutical company and she was saying, oh, well, we have these RFID codes and her basic just of what her comment was, we have this one thing, we don't need all those other things because one size fits all. And I think it's really important to bring up that one size doesn't fit all. Um, Different people have different needs. RFID for me probably wouldn't work because I tend to not retain stuff as well, hearing it as I do seeing it. And I think that a lot of people have said the same thing about Braille, they need to actually read the braille rather than just listening to it. Um, So I think that it is important to say that just, you can't just go with one size fits all, that they need to look at several options for both meeting the needs of the visually impaired and um, people using English as a second language. Even large print, like 
14 or 16 point is large enough for some people, but other people give me 20 or 22 point. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And anyway. So if a company is going to rely heavily on RFID, does that mean then the insurance will pay for the reader? So I know everything from an iPhone 7 on up will read RFID chips. Android will read RFID chips. So is there, does that mean that the insurance company has to provide that device if they're going to? Uh, well, it's usually the company. It's the company itself. So Script uh, Envision America actually provides it free of charge to the patient. Uh, there are other types of like barcode things out there or QR codes. For instance, uh, CVS has said that they've now got something, but they've got proprietary software and uh, I've forgotten what it's called right at the moment. It doesn't really matter. You can only use their app on a smartphone. They don't have a standalone reader. So that's not really fully accessible, CVS. Sorry. So um, that's, that's part of, I, Zach, I think part of your question is like, Who's going to pay for the smartphone? Because like right. people who use, yeah, because people who use Script Talk get the Script Talk reader and don't necessarily use a smartphone. And the smartphone thing sounds really cool. And, you know, I think the whole area of subsidized internet, subsidized mobile or broadband, I would say that area is continuing to evolve. But the other point about that is, not everybody wants to use a smartphone. I know many beloved elders who are like, give it to me on paper. Don't make me get out my smartphone to read the barcode or the QR code menu at a restaurant. I don't even know, you know, it's a big deal to like look at your chart online for some people. So I think your, your question, Zach, is actually really important. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's one we've solved yet, but um, no. cause it's easy to say, Oh, gee whiz, look at all these pieces that make it easy. But that road there is, you know, not everybody's going to go down that road. So I think right. that's a really important question. And with your question, Zach, I have a comment and a question. Did you say that only um, the far farthest down on iPhones is seven to read an RFID? Uh, yeah, I just Googled it. According to Google, all, all beloved Google, um, it says everything from the iPhone 7 on up is able to access and read RFID chips. <laughs> That's interesting to me because I'm still using a success. So, um, so it wouldn't work for me anyway. It's certainly been presented to me as an option. But I think that the other comment about it being provided because it's something that can read the RFID, I think that would go along with the same rule as reasonable accommodations as an employer. If you can get the little machine for free, nobody's going to buy an iPhone um, so that you can read the labels yeah. for you. So does Script Talk readers work with every single, they, they read RFID, right? I'm not familiar with Script Talk, so I don't know much about it, but do they work with every single RFID chip? Script Talk is the one that pro they provide RFID chips to the pharmacies. Okay. And then yeah. they have the machines. And actually, I was told from my pharmacy that they bought the machine that reads the RFID chip from, I don't know if this is true, but this is what they told me. They bought it from Script Talk and then gave it to me. Well, I know the Script Talk will send it to patients. Yeah, I think they so, do. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what, what Charlotte said too, is that because she asked me if I wanted one and I said, well, the pharmacy already gave me one. Yeah. And it's 
what it what it ends up being if you no longer use that machine for whatever reason then they will ask for it back because they mm-hmm. can give it to somebody else but script talk has said that they will provide it uh usually they try to ship it super fast so if you're a new customer they try to ship it to you within two to three days if a pharmacy doesn't have one to give to you, which most pharmacies honestly will not because it's something that comes from the script talk, the Envision America company. So where do we stand on creating the legislation? The legislation is, will have to be reintroduced at this point. We do have commitments from a couple of our legislators that were very involved in trying to get this passed, Representative uh, Ty and Representative Cody has said, have both said that they are more than willing to reintroduce this legislation again if necessary. Pre-filing doesn't have to happen until the second week in December for the January se- session to start next year. So we've got some time. We know that there's going to be at least a couple more meetings prior to whether we need to have that legislation reintroduced where we can say we're doing pretty good with rulemaking maybe we don't need to go down that road we're not really sure yet because we're still I believe in the very early phases and it's honestly probably going to take a good two years with or without legislation to get some of these rules started and going and some of it start, yeah correct I mean some of them can can probably be phased in over a six to eight month period once we agree on the rules and some of them are going to have to have a longer phase in. But I think, Zach, you know, at this point, anybody who's interested in accessible labels should feel free to go talk to your pharmacist, to Walgreens, to Walmart, to Rite Aid. Just tell them you're interested and see what they tell you because those all, are, you know, CVS also just... Go and say, I'm interested in accessible labels. See what they tell you and then let advocacy committee know because um, like this kind of story from, you know, a real person walking into the pharmacy, people get it better than if we just start talking about the different pieces of technology. And so, I don't know. And also, you know, if anybody wants to reach out, we have our own email address judy what's the what's the yes so because because this is my favorite thing i love to invent new gmail email address for very specific things so it's accessible labels at gmail.com that will go to me but then i can share it with advocacy and whomever so if you want to just send me a quick email uh telling me good bad or indifferent about any problems that that you may have had or even not have. I mean, if, if there's something good, if you've had a good experience, I want to hear that too, because we need some models of good experiences. And because honestly, we've only heard bad experiences and I can give my own bad experiences as well. <laughs> so we want good experiences, bad experiences. If it's a relative of yours, fine. So accessible labels, no spaces, no dashes at gmail.com. And I, I agree. I second what Doreen um, is saying. Talk to, you know, anyone who is interested in getting accessible labels. Go and talk to pharmacy, pharmacy companies because they need to hear that it's an issue that people want. I mean, they're in the in the business of doing business. And if they know it's it's a commodity and, and people are really looking for that, then that has an effect too. Oh, also, as we haven't mentioned it for a while, 
if you need it in an alternate language, whether you're vision impaired or not. So if anybody's listening to this and you're not vision impaired, but the language, you need an alternate language other than English, also ask, because maybe you're asking for a relative or somebody you're caring for, because the pharmacies need to know this. Some of the pharmacies we heard from uh, when we listened to the pharmacy association meeting, they were saying, well, I live in a very small community and there's only two languages spoken. And I'm thinking, oh, that can't possibly be true. But that was their experience. Well, and, and people do travel. And, you know, if for some reason you need a need an antibiotic suddenly and you're in, you know, Pato or someplace and English and Spanish aren't your languages, you still need a label. So, I mean, I think that, I think, I think it's good to push the envelope. I don't know that we're going to be able to do all of that instantly, but, um, but it's, you know, it's just interesting to come up with the different circumstances where you might be in a town other than where you live and have an infection or need, need to call your home, your doctor and say, I'm out of town and I really need this refill or this thing. Some people have recurrent conditions and, and, oh, I've had a flare up. I need some of my medication. You know, it would be great to be able to hope that you can do that. Well, part of my job as a nurse is I call patients literally all over the state that are coming into Seattle for surgery. And so I know for a fact that some of these small towns that were talked about mostly in Eastern Washington speak other languages other than Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we don't even have to, we don't even have to like argue that fact. I can prove it easily, but it's an interesting thing that that's what the pharmacists were saying because that's their only exposure because people haven't been speaking up. And the other thing we heard as far as visual accessibility I haven't had very many people ask me, well, that's because I think there's some learned helplessness, actually. You know, you keep asking, you keep getting turned down, you stop asking. And if they have a sign at the pharmacy and you have a visual impairment, you can't read the sign <laughs> that that says we, you know, offer, you know, right. that doesn't help either. So, you know, I think that asking to the pharmacist so that they can tell you, oh, yeah, we do offer that. I mean, that's a possibility. The other thing is, is reaching out to your, you know, speaking to the podcast audience, reaching out to your legislature, state legislatures, your federal legislatures, and telling them that this is an issue. It helps. I mean, always, you know, getting the word out is the best way to advocate. I think we said a lot, and I think we should thank our viewers and yeah. Uh, our viewers. Yeah. Okay. Viewers. Okay. Yes. It's a vision thing. Okay. We're going to work on metaphors. Here. <laughs> We're going to work on metaphors. Well, well, we'll thank our listeners who are viewing with their ears tonight. Thank you very much. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, um, I want to thank, thank all the advocates and, and also thanking um, Zach for, for putting this you know, together so we can have the podcast too. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being here and being part of the Newsline publication. Uh, you know, this podcast uh, has reached quite a wealth of information, and I really appreciate you guys being here. So thank you. Thank you. And then I'd like to, Zach, I'd like to kind of leave it open because we will have updates. It may not be in the extreme near future because, as we've all said, this is going to take a while to kind of sort some of this stuff out. But we'd like to do a follow-up at some point. Yeah. Yeah, follow up. So it's totally fun. Just uh, cool. shoot me an email and we'll 
we'll schedule it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 This podcast was made in association with Washington Council of the Blinds Newsline Publication. You can contact us at the WCBNewsline at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Credit for this production goes to podcast producer Zach Hertz, editors Heather Mears and Reginald George, and we'd like to extend a thank you to Kevin McLeod at Incomputech.com for his use of the song Life of Riley. Thank you so much for listening and tune in for our next episode or check out previous episodes.